Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. In 2002, the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that um, the the Pledge of Allegiance, um, reciting the Pledge of Allegiance in public schools is unconstitutional because the phrase one nation under God is an endorsement of religion. Uh, Judge Alfred Goodwin, who wrote the majority opinion, stated that the pledge sends a message to non-religious students that they are outsiders. Well, in actuality, they are outsiders because 98% of Americans state that they believe in God in some, some capacity. And this is just an example of how our nation has moved away from the godly principles that we were actually founded on. Uh, Proverbs 14, verse 34, the first part of that says, righteousness exalts a nation. And what that means is that righteousness among any group of people is beneficial. Righteousness is translated as people living with just and godly principles. And because they live with those principles, they produce just and godly actions. And exalts means to raise or to lift up. And so righteousness that exalts a nation means that when a nation is righteous, that nation will be honored, it will be lifted up, it will be exalted uh, among other nations. So how does a nation, or for that matter, an individual, become righteous? Psalm 51.10, the psalmist said, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The, the psalmist understood that he, he cried out to God, understanding that God is who changes our hearts. It's not something that we can do ourselves. We understand as, as Christians that we are not naturally righteous people. We are not righteous by nature. Jeremiah 17 Verse 9 tells, confirms that we are, in fact, all sinners. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? So we, we understand that we are not righteous by nature. And we can't become righteous through legislation. Uh, the... The Israelites are a perfect example of the fact that they had a law, they had laws to, to govern them, but they didn't become righteous. They didn't become moral because they had laws in place. You cannot legislate morality. Romans 8.3 says that the, the law never succeeded 
in producing righteousness. We are only made righteous through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our forefathers understood righteousness. They knew that righteousness was the necessary ingredient to give birth to this nation of people who were looking for liberty. They understood that just as Christ paid the price for our spiritual liberty, they were going to have to pay a price for political liberty. Liberty and freedom always exacts a terrible price. As this, the old saying goes, freedom is not free. Now, this is the 4th of July, and, and the whole point of our celebration today is to remember the price that was paid for our freedom. Now, our nation was first settled by people who came looking to express their religious freedom. They weren't trying to get away from something. They were looking for a freedom to be able to worship. We're all familiar with the pilgrims and the Plymouth Rock and the Mayflower and, and all of those sort of things. But this is the, when, when they arrived in, in Plymouth in Massachusetts, one of the first things they did was they wrote up the Mayflower Compact. And this is the opening statement. In the name of God, amen, having undertaken for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith, do solemnly and mutually in the presence of God covenant and combine ourselves together. They came here for the glory of God and for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then 23 years later, more and more people were coming to New England. And so they recognized that there needed to be an, an overall constitution that kind of guided the people. And so they came up with the New England Confederation. And it, this is the first constitution that was written in the New World. Now, y'all didn't know you were going to get a history lesson today, but hey, you're, you're getting it. This is, this is what the, the New England Confederation Constitution states. It begins with, whereas we all came into these parts with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and peace. America was founded by men and women who acknowledged God's supreme rule over their lives. They wanted his righteousness to exalt this nation. Now, I'm not suggesting that these were perfect people. They did a lot of things wrong. They messed up in a lot of ways. They, are, they were just like you and I are. You know, they... they they mess up, but they acknowledge that God was the supreme ruler and that, that they wanted him to be over their government. Now, 
again, this being the, the 4th of July, let's read just the, the opening prologue of the Declaration of Independence. It was signed on July 4, 1776, and it begins with, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, notice it didn't say life, liberty, and happiness. They said the pursuit of happiness. And the reason why is because these rights, life, liberty, and pursuing happiness are gifts that come from God. They don't come from government. And, and that's precisely what they're saying here. They come from God, and they're acknowledging that. The, the very next line says, and that to secure or protect these rights, governments are instituted among men. So what they're saying is, we want the government to protect what God has given us, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's a government's responsibility, is to kind of keep the protection out there so that people are free within the confines to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. It's not the government's job to, to control or regulate those things. And as you go on and, and read the Declaration of Independence, I know you all do that like on a weekly basis, right? Everybody, as, as part of your light reading, you just whip it out and, and read the Declaration of Independence. Well, what, what the Declaration of Independence is, is a list of 15 or 16 complaints or charges against King George and England. And so they just go through and list, this is what we're mad at you about. This is why we're declaring our independence from you. And then when it gets down to the very end of the declaration, they again make a couple of more references to God. They say, we therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world, that would be God, for the rectitude of our intentions. And what they're saying is, we're leaving England. We are breaking off our relationship with you. These are our grievances. Why? And we are are appealing to the sovereign judge. We're appealing to God to be the one who, who oversees what we're doing. And then the very last line of the declaration says, and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. Again, what, what they're saying is that we are, we are trusting God to protect us. We are trusting God to hear our case and to judge in our favor. Now, we have a painting here of the first Congress when they were coming together to write up the Declaration of Independence. 
And as they were debating the, 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 the different um, aspects of the Declaration of Independence, and they're trying to figure out what, what is the best way to, to phrase it and, and going through, and there's all of this back and forth and this arguing, and everybody's trying to, to get it figured out. And Ben Franklin stands up and he says, gentlemen, if it is true that not one single petal from any flower falls to the ground without escaping God's attention, will the distress of this nation go unheeded? Let us therefore determine to seek his face. And this is a painting of, at that point, the signers, the, the potential signers of the Declaration of Independence went to God in prayer seeking God's guidance, seeking God's leadership to help them determine the, the course of, of the nation. Wow, wouldn't it be amazing if our Congress today would stop and say, God, we really would like for you to guide us. We would really like for you to give us some sense of direction and, and make your will known to us. You know, this, this all began officially on July 4th, 1776. 56 brave men signed a document that we know as the Declaration of Independence. Do you realize the price that these men paid for having that hope and that dream to live in a nation that was built on the righteousness of God? Five of them were captured and tortured to death by the British. Twelve of them had their homes burned to the ground. Two lost their sons in the war. One of them had two, different, two of their sons captured. Nine of them died from wounds received while fighting in the revolution. Carter Braxton of Virginia, he was a, healthy, uh, a wealthy planter and trader. He had all of his assets confiscated by the British, and he ultimately had to sell his home to pay his debts, and he died in poverty. Thomas McKean was so hounded by the British that he was forced to move his family constantly. He served as it did everyone, served in Congress without pay. How would our Congress do today if they did it for free? And he died in poverty. Thomas Nelson's home was seized by the British at the Battle of Yorktown, and it was used as a command post for the British Army. When Nelson realized that his home was being used as the command post, he urged George Washington to fire on his house, and his home was destroyed, and Nelson died bankrupt. There is no human reason that the colonists should have won the war other than God lifts up those who seek to honor him. Righteousness exalts a nation. 
Listen to the words of our founding fathers. John Quincy Adams said in 1821 about the Declaration of Independence. From the time of the Declaration of Independence, the American people were bound by the laws of God and the laws of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which they all acknowledged as the root of their conduct. We all came together to obey the word of God. In George Washington's farewell address, he says, do not let anyone claim tribute of American patriotism if they attempt to remove religion from politics. Patrick Henry, who famously said, give me liberty or give me death, he also said it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've all heard of the separation of church and state. And to show you how evil and godless people have taken the very statement of the separation of church and state, and they have used it to try to actually take the very freedom that our forefathers intended for us to, to have. Thomas Jefferson is the one who wrote this, this phrase, separation of church and state. And what he wrote was the First Amendment's religious, religion clause um, as reflecting the view of the whole American people, which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Of, thus building a wall between church and state. If you look at what he wrote, what he's saying is the First Amendment has is created a wall separating the church from the state, but it's a one-directional wall. It keeps the government from interfering in the affairs of the church, but it makes sure that Christian principles will always stay in effect in government. Now, this doesn't sound like men trying to keep God out of government, but rather to keep the government out of the church. Our government is even patterned after, the biblical, after biblical principles. Do you know where we get the idea of three branches of government? It comes from the Bible. Isaiah 33, 22 says, For the Lord is our judge, our lawmaker, and our king. He will care for us and save us. Remember, we have an executive branch. The Lord is our king. We have a legislative branch that makes our laws. The Lord is our lawgiver. And we have a judicial branch. The Lord is our judge. When, when the framers of our government got together, that what they were, they were trying to do is say, okay, what is the best way we can form our new government? What they did was they looked to the word of God for the wisdom needed and, and for his righteousness. If you go to Europe today, you'll find that churches are controlled by the state. And as a result, they are all spiritually dead. They're just institutions. There, there is no, no spiritual life in them. 
And the founders of our country said, we, we want to make sure that the church is separate from the government, and we want to keep the church independent from the government, even to the point that the church isn't going to be required to pay taxes so that it is completely free and separate. Where did they get the idea that churches shouldn't pay taxes? Ezra 7.24 says, I also decree that no priest, Levite, singer, gate people, gatekeeper, temple servant, or other worker in this temple of God will be required to pay tribute, custom, or tolls of any kind. You know, our, our forefathers discovered in the Bible that government shouldn't interfere in the work of God, but that the work of God should very much be influential in how the government is run. Righteousness exalts a nation. Now, my... my encouragement to you is don't ever keep silent when people who hate God try to tell us that our faith has no place in the public sector, that our, our faith has no place in politics. So what should we do? We need to repent of our indifferences. You know, we, we have sinned by being silent. And the second half of Proverbs 14, verse 34 says, sin is a disgrace to any people. Sin is, is any adverse, destructive behavior. Remember, sin is a corrosive thing. And sin is the missing the mark of what God has set as the standard. Sin is beyond our ability to cure it or manage it. And, and because of that, it leads to our disgrace. Proverbs 13, 6 says, Godliness guards the path of the blameless, but the evil are misled by sin. Well, let's do a quick review of how our nation has fallen into sin, where, you know, that we have gone from a place of righteousness. And again, our nation is not a perfect nation. I'm, I'm not trying to, to suggest that. But it was founded on godly principles. And today we are a far cry from that. Here are some examples. In 1963, the Supreme Court took prayer out of schools. It next ruled um, that the Bible must be removed from being read in our classrooms. They then ordered that the Ten Commandments and any other biblical references be struck from the walls of schools and public buildings. Then the court ruled that there, there is a certain segment of our society that has no rights at all. That is the unborn. Since 1973, millions of abortions have been carried out. Uh, murders, for lack of, uh, is really the, the best way to refer to that. 
Today, there, there is perversion, and, and it's welcomed, and it's embraced. Homosexuality is being pushed out there as, as a normal, acceptable behavior. Nine out of ten children between the ages of eight and 16 have been exposed to pornography. 47% of school-aged children receive pornographic spam on a daily basis. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. So we have fallen from righteousness. We, we have been exposed in our sin. Well, what does that look like? How, how, how does that translate? Well, one out of two marriages end in divorce. In 1960, women were the sole provider of only one out of 10 households. Today, 25% of the homes in America with children under the age of 18 are single parent homes. And because of the circumstances that confront single moms, children in these homes more often than not are living below the poverty level. Now, this is not a criticism of single parents, of single moms. It's just pointing out the fact that as a nation, we have let these people down. We have let this whole sector down. You know, the, the, the truth is single moms are to be applauded and they are to be encouraged. They are to be prayed for. You know, they are true heroes. Gallup polls report that there are over a half a million children aged 12 to 18 that are involved in some type of prostitution to support an addiction to illegal drugs. One million girls under the age of 17 will get pregnant outside of wedlock, and half of those pregnancies end in abortion. 60%, here's one for us, 60% of evangelical Christian students ages 12 to 18 are sexually active. 66% of America's students have reported to use illegal drugs. Child abuse is up 240% in America since the 1970s. Corruption and conviction of political officials is up 450%. And those are the, just the ones that get caught. Sexual abuse of children is up 1,375% since the 1970s. America has the highest illiteracy rate of all of the developed nations in the world. This is just a small sampling. It, the, the list, there, there's much more. What I'm trying to convey is, as we have turned and walked away from God, as we have abandoned righteousness as a nation, this is the fallout. In exchange for godliness and righteousness as a nation, we have sold our families, sold our children, sold our morality to the gods of sexual perversion and, and all of the other stuff that, that we have, have abandoned, been abandoned to. 
Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. That's, this is a statement of fact. Blessed is the nation. The idea here is that when a nation is right with God, they are happy, they are content, they are at peace. And it says whose God is the Lord, the nation which worships God, is under his protection. We are not that nation anymore. So how do we reclaim our inspiration? How, how do we re reclaim this righteousness? You know, if, if God so clearly was directing the, the founding fathers, how can we get back to, to that place again? I don't think it's a lost cause. But the answer is in this room right here today. And, and for those who will be watching this, if you claim to be a man or a woman of God, you must live in the righteousness of God. You must stand up and fight for the freedom that was purchased for, for us by those who gave their lives and gave their, their livelihoods in order to gain this freedom, repent of the sin and commit your life to Christ. If you're a Christian, you got to quit riding the fence. Choose this day whom you will serve. And what that means is we have to get right with God and we have to live that way. We can't we can't just give lip service. You can insist, you know, that, that we don't allow the liberal atheistic minority to, to rob us of our spiritual heritage. Get involved politically. You can live your life in a manner that reflects your trust for our living God. I, you know, you know, I've got to read this scripture today. Second Chronicles 714. If my people who are called by my name, in other words, us will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The godless politicians aren't going to turn back to God unless they have no choice. Are you willing to step out to save America, to leave your comfortable place, to humble yourself, to pray, to seek God, to repent of your sin? That's what it's going to take. And it's going to take you and me to do it. This is not someone else's responsibility. This is not something that someone ought to do. It's what you ought to do and what I ought to do. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need you we don't need a different politician. We don't need a different Congress. We don't need some new program, some stimulus check. We need you. 
We need you, Father, to take hold in our hearts and, and for us to stand up regardless of the, the fallout and stand for you. Help us, Father, to do that. Help us to have the courage to stand for you. God, we want to be a nation that exalts you. We want to be a people who stands for you. Please help us to do just that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <laughs>